Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Welcome everybody, welcome to another episode of ESSR Feature, our flagship show here on the ESSR feed uh, every Tuesday now, we're talking about a different topic from the world of wrestling, this week we're going back over to the east to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, specifically New Japan's best of the Super Juniors tournament, which usually happens towards the end of spring, start of the summer, although given the current events it doesn't look like that's going to happen as it usually does. I am one of your hosts, Scott McLeod, as you can hear from that song, uh, it says, of course, when the host of East Beats West is on the, the show, unfortunately, my good friend Graham McRobbie is not here alongside me. And it's okay for this show. I was going to say, if Grant can't be here, I'm going to get somebody who really knows about New Japan and all aspects of Japanese wrestling. Also, David Campbell told me he was busy tonight. So, because he was on the G1 history show, I thought if I could get him on as well. It's his podcast after all. Stephen Wilson's here. Ah, yes. Uh, I have to fill in the big uh, shoes and the big ego of David Campbell. Uh, I'll do my uh, my best, but let's be brutally honest, no man can fill his ego. No woman can fill his ego either. <laughs> ah, and just by that intro, he's already listening. He's already saying, like, ah, see, they're always mentioning me. Ah, so there you go. His ego's been well fed, and we're only five, less than five minutes into the show. And also joining us, a woman tasked. Uh, by Dan to make sure we do not forget Jushin Thunder Liger, even though he was of course going to come up at this, this podcast at some point, has said a grief. I mean, yeah, if you're getting told by your boyfriend, say you better not forget Jushin Thunder Liger when talking about the Super Juniors. But with all fairness, Dan, there's three of us. We had our own picks. If there was more, Liger was probably more than likely to come up as someone's MVP. So... I've been told. I've been. I'm, I've been told not to mm-hmm. misbehave. And I love. <laughs> I love how you get told not to forget Liger. My other half tells me not to forget the latest when I go to Tesco. So. <laughs> <laughs> so 
different priorities, clearly. Oh yeah, so it's a it's a one hundred percent wrestling household in our flat. But everybody, before we get into the best of Super Juniors, you can remember to follow Eat Suplex Retreat on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Suplex Retreat. Make sure you join our Eat Suplex Retreat community page where we share our content. You can get involved in the conversation, talk about what's going on in the world wrestling, leave your opinions on the various feature shows we do. And you can listen to uh, our show on Thursdays, East is Our Central, where we talk about all the going on, the biggest stories in uh, the world of wrestling. That last week's one with Ross and Dave should be up, uh, so you can check that out if you are so inclined, if you haven't checked it out already. As well as, as I mentioned already, East Meets West, me and Grant Robbie, our more monthly show, talking about the world of Japanese wrestling and everything going on in New Japan. Uh, we are going to have a new episode later on this month, uh, talking about everything to do with wrestling Dontaku, but mostly with Nagata. And unfortunately, due to the current state of uh, Japan, it doesn't look like we're going to be talking about the uh, Wrestle Grand Slam for a little while longer. And also Saturday Draft Live every Saturday, obviously. Okay. Uh, for at uh, least, you know, goings on in the ESSR Fantasy Draft Week, uh, hosted by Jack Graham, David Talkney, and for now, uh, David Campbell. And also our, our Super YouTube channel, where you can check out shows like The Conspiracy Theory Book It, which is coming back next month. And uh, I don't know if I'll be up by now. It should be the latest installment of Quiz Showdown, Quiz Showdown 11. We've come a long way. We have an anniversary look back episode of Quiz Showdown. And also our own Sergey posted last month's uh, installment, Quiz Showdown 10, paper, no, a ghost. Uh, a wild ride, so it was. <laughs> so if you haven't checked that out, please do so. But... We're going to delve right into the best of Super Juniors. Uh, for, for those who aren't aware, obviously, well, you're going to get a hell of an education in this episode, so good for you. But the, the best of Super Juniors is an annual tournament with the junior heavyweights in New Japan, where they could be in a round-robin style tournament with the winner getting an opportunity at the junior heavyweight championship. Although, although like the G1 Climax champion does also get to compete in the tournament. Uh, you know, come to you first. This tournament started back in 1988 uh, with a different name, much like how the G1 Climax had different names before it officially became the G1 Climax in 1991. Uh, this, this is Jimmy Sagan, put a different name, a thousand miles away from what it's called now. It used to be called Top of the Super Juniors. Yeah, Where do they get their ideas from? I'll get the same ring to it, <clears throat> I think it's fair to say. Uh, <laughs> We're at the top of the Super Juniors. No, <clears throat> no, definitely not. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great concept tournament. I think to this, I think the best way to describe it to the people who have never watched, never seen it is like, think of the Cruiserweight Classic. Only they run it every year. The weight limit's a bit heavier, and they don't botch the what happens after it. You know, don't we don't get BOSJ live. You know, it's like no, they go on and they win the match. You know, uh, and I think the thing it's great about it is a who's who list of winners, which is mm-hmm. you get you get there's a few names you look back on like no clue who that is, no clue who that is. <laughs> then you get Pegasus Kid, who mm-hmm. I know who he is, but I'm not going to say his actual name. So, mm-hmm. but he has a, he was an illustrious wrestler before he did other things. Mm-hmm. So it's a who's who, not just when you look at the winners, but some of the names I've competed in over the years is crazy to think of that these people were involved in the tournament. 
Yeah, uh, so this has been going since 1988, so it's been going a long time. Uh, this year's business review, if they do uh, do one later this year, will be the 28th instalment of the tournament. So it's not it's not going as long as G1 Climax, but it's been going on almost uh, as long as that tournament. It's got almost as much history. So I think the fact that this, this format of it is kind of similar to what the G1 is uh, in terms of what the winner gets, a block format, the round-robin style of it, it kind of goes to show that a point that we've made uh, on this podcast before with kind of the difference between cruiserweight wrestling in the US and WWE and how the cruiserweight division is seen as not a priority, whereas in Japan it's kind of seen almost like a bit almost an even playing field where they get the similar treatment, especially with their top tournament. Yeah, I think like definitely in like the more recent years as well, it has been getting like more and more attention given to it. Um, obviously, I don't know what it was like back in the eighties. Obviously, mm-hmm. I was born in ninety one, so I'm not I'm not gonna, you know, see what um like what it was like when Shiro won the like the inaugural one. Um, but mm-hmm. it's like the fact that it's it's not only continued on. Obviously, it's going to be coming up for its twenty eighth installment. Mm-hmm that they have still adapted and evolved it as well. Like, I get just as excited, if not more excited, for the best of Super Juniors when it comes around from the G1. I mean, this mm-hmm. like last year was obviously mixed in with Tag League um, because they were limited to what they can do. Mm-hmm. But see when it comes to like the development of it, it's went from 20-minute um, time limit matches to 30 minutes now, and... Throughout the years that like, you can see throughout the results that the Super Juniors have actually went to near enough like all those time limits. And it, it just goes to show that, you know, junior heavyweight wrestling is actually just as important as the heavyweights that are kicking around in New Japan. Because mm-hmm. like New Japan love their, their tournaments. Because they got the uh, World Tag League, as you mentioned, we got Best of Super Juniors, we got G1. We also have uh, the Japan Cup that's a more single elimination rather than the round-robin style. Uh, so we talked about, we talked about the round-robin style and the G1 show. What's your thoughts on the idea of that style of everybody wrestling each other at least once in the tournament before the top two go through? You know, Because it's very different from the more Western style that we've seen in a, a UK or US promotion. It's usually single elimination. Uh, I think the closest thing to this kind of style in the UK is the uh, when last year when ICW did their Lionheart League? Mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> I actually kind of prefer it this way because, see, with single elimination tournaments, you you open yourself up to the imagination of what if these brackets were made differently? What if this person faced this person? Or what if this person was on that side of the bracket? Or, like, that sort of thing. So, see, with the round robin, everybody gets to go up against one another. You get, obviously, and it's, it, it tells story to it as well so when you come to the development and even <clears throat> even after like the actual traditional rules like if anyone pins a certain person into it so say like they pin the champion they even if they don't win the tournament they still get a match at that like a match with the champion for mm-hmm. the title and um, if the winner of the actual tournament is pinned at all by someone this the person who pinned them gets a shot at them as well to try and obviously take the take the the actual proper title shot from them and so Mm -hmm. i think having like the actual round robins it works in such a brilliant way because it's like see when you get the competitors i mean you have a block and b blocks like i know 
like this time around there wasn't actually A block and B block as much, but mm-hmm. you get you can get every single match that like, you can get excited. You're like this person's in, this person's in. What block are gonna or are they gonna be in? But obviously it does open up to the imagination of what if this person was in this block? What if this person was in this block? But you get excited for every single one in the matches, not right. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to get excited for that match, but maybe not for that match. And then it's like, oh, but I, they would have been better to go through. And this way, it's this way you do get like more matches for your worth as well. Um, and it, it works for me in a better way because like two points for a win, one point for a draw, and nothing for a loss. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I love it. I love the format. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because we talked about it before, similar to the G1 in that, you know, you can start off on the perfect, you know, lose your first two matches, but then you can go on a hell of a hot streak. Mm-hmm. Or you can have a kind of a situation where somebody's got only a few matches left, but like the third or last match they need to win to stay mathematically involved, you know. So, yeah. like like uh, Stephen said in our G1 show, just the same day we're talking, is watch more Japanese wrestling because like, numbers galore with these type of tournaments. <laughs> but uh, Stephen... Unlike the G1, where like the winner getting a title shot at risk, and it's really only been kind of since 2012, almost since uh, inception, the uh, the junior heavyweight champion uh, faces the winner of whoever wins the best of super juniors, except for the occasions where very rarely uh, the junior heavyweight champion has won the tournament. So again, it's good to have it's good to have them. It's good for them to have somebody to something to fight for. Easy for me to say, but. It also usually takes place in the late spring, early summer, and takes and they get their title shot at the annual summer show Dominion, which is basically New Japan's equivalent of the Summer Slam. I think, it's, I think it also will show the quality of uh, how smart New Japan's booking is, because like you've got the New Japan Cup in the spring, which sets up for their big April show for somebody to challenge the world champion. You've got this for the junior heavyweight champion in the, the summer show Dominion. You've got in the summer G, uh, G1 World Tag League in December, which sets up more big matches for Wrestle Kingdom. So they they do a lot of tournaments in Japan, but they time them well throughout the year. Mm. Yeah, I think the thing that's interesting about the way they have this one won is pretty much the winner will then just go pretty much hot-shotted into the match. Like Dominion pretty much is like, sometimes like the day after or something, isn't it? It's not even that uh, big of a gap, you know. Well, as mm-hmm. with the G1, you have like a few months of a gap, so there is the chance that the person who wins it can either A, lose it, which only ever happened once mm-hmm. last year, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, or they could potentially go cold. I mean, that doesn't happen often either, but that's sometimes the issue with these kind of prolonged things. We've seen it in WWE with Money in the Bank, but at the time somebody cashes in, they're as cold as blood in the freezer. So <laughs> I think when you have something... Like this, like usually the winner will come like they've had they've won like five matches in the space of like a, a few weeks. Uh, in the olden days, they'd have to win a semi final and the final to get to, to win the whole thing, but now it's just the one match. Mm-hmm. So they do come into it, especially in recent years, especially they come into it they're absolutely off the back of an amazing match, amazing moment, and then they come into it with such a ton of momentum. You sometimes feel it's hard for them to lose, but at the same time, if they mm-hmm. do lose, it's a big chip on the back of the the champion retaining against somebody it's like I've even at times I've not been able to win the tournament but I'm still better than you so it shows that on a one on one occasion it's, it's I will outdo you so I think it is smart the way they do it and it's mm-hmm. it does build a bit of excitement as well which is always good to see with a tournament 
Yeah, it does seem to be quite immediate, like rarely more than a few days between the tournament finale and usually Dominion, depending on how they, they book it. Uh, the only real advantage the champion probably has is because the champion very rarely ends up in the final, then they have one or two days more rest because the, cha- the winner of the Super Juniors has had to go through the final, which is always usually very a very grueling uh, match and usually some of the best matches of the whole Super Juniors tournament is, comes in the final. So that's really the one advantage. And unlike in the G1, as we talked about, where the only person who'd really won in their opportunity with the, the G1 briefcase had been Tanahashi, whereas in the Super Juniors, it very much varies throughout the years, uh, depending on how successful the winner is. And actually, since 2017, uh, when Kishida won his second uh, Super Juniors, every winner since 2017 has actually won their opportunity uh, for the Junior Retail, so it's not always a guarantee, but I think it's got a better track record than the G1 has in terms of the winner. But the tournament became known as the Super Juniors officially in 1994, uh, and that tournament was won by Jushin Thunder Liger. He done, we didn't forget, but he also <laughs> already won the tournament in 1991 when it was the uh, top of the Super Juniors and he would win one more time later on so he is actually one of two people to win, this, win it three times and you know, we had Pegasus who had won it top of the Super Juniors but then won the second ever best of Super Juniors so he for a while was up until somebody whose team was going to talk about later on was the only Gaijin to win it twice and then 1996 where it's the first year there where you have uh, the first ever two block format which I think actually works out uh, better uh, the two box rather than just the one uh, because you know it's going to be a fresh matchup between the two winners because they've been in separate blocks for the whole tournament. That was won by Black Tiger, a.k.a. Eddie Guerrero and a mask. So when you look at the early days, especially these first these three tournaments that I just mentioned, it's really a who's who of junior heavyweight wrestling at the time. Yeah, I mean, see, looking at just like that, those like first few blocks that you can see, mm-hmm. I mean... You've you've got like seeing the technical first under the name of like the Super Juniors. You've got Jushin Thunderlager. You've got Wild Pegasus, Black Tiger Two, and Dean Malenko, and even David Finley's in there as well. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like it's it's anything that's sort of small names. I mean, these are even just those four that I've mentioned. They are household names. Um, obviously you had the other guys that were in this tournament as well like from the start and carrying on um throughout things i mean it they're big big names but see when it came to the the whole two block thing this way you can get a little bit more like more competitors in it as well it gives them a bit of a more mm-hmm. competition flavor um especially um like see when they were doing what would be the New Japan Strong variation of the Super Junior Cup is the obviously the Super J Cup. Um, mm. That you had people coming in from different promotions to do this, and like this is what I do love to see is like any like literally anybody that could possibly have a connection with New Japan Pro Wrestling can get invited. I mean, you, you mm. also look at like 1997. You've got Robbie Brookside, Chris Jericho. And you've got obviously Jusha Thunder Liger, but and you've got Chavo Guerrero in there as well. Like those are not, especially like Jericho Chavo Guerrero. Those are not really names that you would ever really properly associate with New Japan, um, mm. especially now I would say. But this is what I love to see: the fact that they've 
obviously expanded it um and this is this is stuff that like when it comes around especially now when they say they like the so-called forbidden door has been opened mm-hmm. um that it opens up to many possibilities and it's every wrestling fan's like dream essentially i was going to say wet dream but I, I, maybe a little too far for that and um, but it is every <laughs> wrestling fan's dream to sort of because we all do it we're all guilty of doing it as soon as like a tournament's announced or anything this person can be it this person would be great for it oh i'd love to see this person versus this person we're all we're all like guilty of doing it but this mm-hmm. is when this could possibly happen i mean there's some names that i don't think anyone would probably ever expect to be announced in the competition and you're just like whoa whoa okay that's good that is good i mean i think like the first time like going off to the heavier weight division like having jeff cobb appear in new japan you're like hold up a minute (laughs) it's stuff like that yeah i totally agree and like yeah well that was one thing about the 2020 best even though it was still a, a great tournament one thing that was lacking, other than the fact it was a one-block thing, was the fact the lack of really uh, wrestlers from outside of New Japan. The real closest thing you got to an outside kind of wrestler coming in was Robbie Eagles returning for that tournament. Mm-hmm. But like some, of these, it's, I, I think it's because it allows for some of the dream matches you wouldn't expect. Because yeah, back in the nineties you had like the Jericho and the you know the relationship with WCW and the cruiserweight division. Uh, and one of the, one of the early tournaments you had like the Owen Hart wrestling mm-hmm. and the and the tournament as the junior heavyweight champion so you know it's a relative who's who as i said before uh steven i think one thing about the the junior uh the super juniors is that even though and you know what you can expect in the main heavyweight like tournaments like you, you see like the technical style you see the strong style the hard hitting like guys just ban each other but you, you can have that in the juniors but also you get the high flying aspect of it and a lot of the wrestlers that we talked about in these earlier tournaments have helped influence the, the wrestlers that we see nowadays. And I think that high-flying style has become, as the independents have grown, more the norm. So you can really see the development of the style of wrestling today through the history of the Super Juniors to an extent. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a common misconception with cruiserweights and junior heavyweights in general that it's just associated with high-flying, flippy shit as the technical term for mm-hmm. it but it's far from it I mean you can be a guy at 250 pounds and be an absolute bruiser I mean if you look at the great example of Shingo in the mm-hmm. 2019 it feels like that long ago couldn't remember the year there but he <laughs> did not look like a cruiserweight does not still does not look like a cruiserweight uh, but he was in the tournament qualified for it and he just battered everybody so it's just a case of you don't need to be a high flyer to do it. And I think that kind of helps with it. You get the mesh of styles between the guys who can do the flippy stuff and the guys who are maybe a bit more technical, guys are a bit more strong styles type aspect of it. And it will work, you know, if they're given time. And they are always given time in this tournament, which helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I love also the the, the, the point scoring system across both rounds, uh, both blocks, and uh, something else. Uh Talk about the development of the style of wrestling nowadays. That I think the fact that uh, like there is that misconception of the it's all just flips and everything. And I think some of the that can rub some people the wrong way that maybe overused nowadays. And what I'm getting at here is the fact that the best of Super Juniors back in 2016 uh, was to jump ahead a little bit was a bit of a caused a bit of controversy on Twitter. One of those you know moments that divides wrestling Twitter as if we need any more of those. 
where you had that infamous like 30 second sequence between Will Ospreay and Ricochet, which caused uh, a lot of people on wrestling tour, specifically Vader, to really like, cry that, oh, this is the, the end of the business. But I think, as I said before, it was just like another example of how wrestling had has basically evolved here. And I think a lot of people really judged that match on the, there on those 30 seconds they saw in the gift. But we actually watched the match. The match is a lot more than just that, that sequence of, of flips. Yeah, I mean, I was actually sitting watching this match uh, yesterday because it was something that I never really quite got the whole controversy around. So obviously I wasn't watching it back then. So Dan put the match on for me to watch. And I can see like the specific spot. Everybody now uses it. Um, but the raves as well that the match got just in terms of match quality. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is still one of the best Super Juniors matches out there. It's it's just obviously not to everybody's taste. Everybody has different um, tastes of what they like on wrestling. But when you put people like Ricochet and Will Ospreay together, you're bound to get a spot fest, flippy, flippy as shit match. Because they're two men that look like they're seamlessly gliding through the air. And it is hmm. like, see, when you if you really appreciate that kind of stuff, it's a thing of beauty. Which is like something like as much as I did not want to enjoy it, because I am not a fan of Will Ospreay as a person. <laughs> Will Ospreay's wrestling is beautiful. It is it is art in a way. Because mm-hmm. and the same with Ricochet. Like Ricochet, I actually got quite scared because he actually looked really really bulky back then. I was like, he's skinny now. Because <laughs> <laughs> honestly, he seems a lot chunkier back then, and like he's still. See when you like in comparison to what you see now with him in WWE, you're like, it's beautiful, it's so pretty, <laughs> so Vader can go and suck it. <laughs> God, yeah, rest his, God, God rest his soul. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I totally get what you mean. I think uh, both men admitted afterwards that like they'd wrestled a few times before that and done the exact same sequence. It just it was just the fact that. This was the most eyes they'd ever had on them when they'd wrestled. I think this actually benefited them and New Japan with the amount of eyes it got on just because people who hadn't heard of the match probably heard of the controversy and thought, I need to check this out. Mm-hmm. And I think it did wonders for both guys. I do because it got more attention to them. And I think for a wee while after, at least for a year, the two kept getting booked against each other at indie promotions just so they could do that spot again. With the two, like, they go back and forth, crisscrossing along the ring and then just stare at each other like, doing the whole Deadpool superhero landing to give it a better term. And what's, what's funny, to get to your point, it's all about Ricochet, I forgot he actually won a Best of Super Juniors, he won it in 2014. And what's even weird is to see him with hair. Like, And it's not even that long, it's like how short the rocks got before he properly shaved it. But just seeing him with hair is just like so weird, even though it was only in 2014, so not that long ago. But I get what you mean about how different he kind of looked, but uh, I'm not a fan of Will Ospreay right now either. If you've listened to the most recent uh, East Meets West, you may have heard a bit of a rant from me and some uh, a lot of swearing involved. But it's one of those things, unavoidable talking about Will Ospreay when you talk about the most recent uh, most recent best of Super Juniors, because he has been one of the biggest names of the, uh, the more recent tournaments up until uh, 2019 when he moved up to the heavyweight division. I honestly forgot how much of a baby face he was back then as well. <laughs> like. I know. 
like like me and Grant were talking about the decision to put the, the title, like the, the world title on him. Like you were saying, if this was a year earlier, like or like two years earlier, we'd been crying this is the best decision New Japan could ever make and now it's completely one eighty. Like completely yeah. the opposite direction. But let's get to somebody who again I said we would never we wouldn't leave out. And that is Jushin Thunder Liger. I want to read some uh, some stats uh, around uh, Jushin Liger's read that I haven't read already. Also, I mentioned he won it twice by the time he was named Best Super Juniors, first to win it, as it was called Best Super Juniors. But also in 92, when he won it for the first time, he was the first person to win it while a uh, junior heavyweight champion. And up in his last Super Juniors was in 2017, and he had appeared in basically every Super Juniors bar two up until that point, and there have been three since. So out of the 20, I'd say it's around 23 times he's appeared in this tournament, which is hell, which is a hell of a record. I don't know if that will be beaten for some time. Uh, his last uh, tournament, last time he won it was in 2001, and he was the first guy to go through the tournament and not lose a single match. So a hell of a dominant display in that. I don't think he would win the title after that tournament, though, because his last reign, I believe, ended in 2000, his last of 11 reigns with the junior heavyweight title. And some people may be wondering, what's the point of reading all these uh, Liger facts other than to not annoy Dan? Uh, Stephen, I think the point of me reading all this is because I think people talk about who, I mean, I'm not familiar, you may hear people say, oh, he's a legend, oh, he's an innovator of the junior heavyweight style. And I think stats like this, how prominent he's been, especially in their top junior heavyweight tournament and the fact he's 11 times as the champion, goes to show why he is considered such a legend. Mm, yes, yeah, crazy when you rhyme off the numbers, and he is the pretty much the trendsetter. I think it's a, a way to do it for that kind of style, this whole junior heavyweight thing. I don't think we'd have a best of super juniors right now if it wasn't for Juice and Thunder Liger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we don't say you about the Super Jika, that's more of a, a single elimination uh, junior heavyweight tournament. But Liger is credited as the guy who's coming up with that the idea for that mm-hmm. tournament. So again, it shows his influence. He does like moves like the surfboard lock and everything. He's a guy who can go technical. He's not just bit flips, but he's also credited. I didn't know this until like a year and a bit ago, around about the time he retired. That he was he is credited also for the creation of the Shooting Star Press. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it, Justin Thunder Liger in a way is responsible for that excellent RKO spot with Evan Bourne, because if he didn't create that move, Evan Bourne wouldn't have done that move, and we wouldn't have got the greatest RKO of all time. So, very good. Yeah, another reason Liger deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But uh, another thing I mentioned there about Liger, the first guy to win as junior heavyweight champion, I believe four times in the tournament's history, the junior heavyweight champion has come out on top. Uh, What do you think of this as uh, an idea? Because... We talked about it, it rarely happens in the G1, but the idea of the champion coming out on top uh, of a tournament like this as the winner. Um, I mean, with all fairness, it is called the best of super juniors. I mean, if they didn't have the actual junior heavyweight champion winning it at least once, then there's mm-hmm. kind of something wrong. Because um, <laughs> it, it is not essentially a number one contender like to crown a, non- a new number one contender it is a culmination of the best junior heavyweights that new japan or whoever else has to offer which does include their champion because there's a reason that they're it's they're the champion and um, sometimes obviously the champion just they get, they get bested in part of the story um 
was especially when it was coming through uh, the most recent year. Like we all, we could all kind of see that Ishimori had the title, but it was going to be Hiromu to sort of come back and take it back from him. Um, mm-hmm. like that, that was kind of blatantly obvious. So yeah. I think to to not have the champion win it at least a few times is kind of a shit show. So it, it's a good thing that they did, because like I said, it's not to crown a new number one contender. There's an actual purpose for it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I should say also, uh, you always get a, a good trophy for winning these tournaments. And I think, out of all of them, the nice-looking hat might be the best of Super Juniors trophy. Kind of this almost silvery uh, tournament, which looks like a kind of a half-wing kind of thing, which Will Osprey, I think when he won it, tried to pretend it was a sword or something like that. <laughs> But I think it's the the best looking uh, trophy that they've they've got, and yeah, I do agree that it can help because uh, also sets up it can still set up matches for for after the tournament if there's somebody that the champion hasn't beat uh, in the tor- course of the tournament. If you beat the winner, like when Sho beat Hiromu in last year's Super Juniors, he got the first title ah. shot against Hiromu after he won it back from Ishimori. <laughs> but uh, it'll look at life really uh, that creative booking that New Japan's known for, Stephen, where you can still protect the champion even though he doesn't win it. Like Ishimori lost three times, I believe, in the 2020 Super Juniors. Lost to Desperado and to Romu, who both ended up in the in the final. Uh, and then I think he lost to Show because Show like didn't beat Desperado. He didn't get to the final, and like he lost like three times. But like, it was two of them was to the guys who end up in the final and the other guy end up getting a title shot down the line so the champion doesn't necessarily need to win it but he can still there's no neat reason he, he can there's no reason for t- for you to make your champion look weak yeah because they have like a so many odd matches within the space of you know a month so mm-hmm. so it, it's it's, it's only natural that you, you could end up knackered. You're not always going to be at the top of your game every every night. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it protects them because, you know, it's fast, it's furious, it takes its toll on the body, you know. It's, it comes across more of an athletic thing as opposed to a pure, like, gimmicky type thing that you maybe get with the round robin. No, not the round robin, sorry, the single elimination style. So, and obviously if you have your champion, because obviously if your champion loses in a single elimination tournament, it, makes, it can make them look a bit weak because they maybe had a normal break. But if you've had like two, three matches in a week and you lose the third one, there's no shame in it because you'll be gubbed. You know, everybody yeah. would be the same. Yeah, totally. Again, it's that endurance test I mentioned uh, in our G1 show. And I think the opportunity for storytelling, which I said is one of my favorite things about a good tournament, I think is almost like there's double the opportunity for that term of storytelling in a round-robin tournament rather than single elimination. Before we move on to uh, some of our favourite matches or some of our favourite performers in this type of tournament, I want to ask about something we already touched on, the 2020 Best Super Juniors being a one-block tournament, but also kind of being mixed in with the World Tag League, where one day you'd have a World Tag League match, but then the following day on the tour it'd be Best of Super Juniors. Given that uh, we're around at the time of year this would have happened, and even before the State of Emergency, which pushed back Wrestle Grand Slam, there wasn't any indication on the New Japan schedule that Super Juniors was going to happen at its usual time because you had Grand Slam at the last Grand Slam show in the Tokyo Dome at the end of May and then within a few days the road to Dominion and then Dominion itself on the 6th of June. So it feels like they're maybe planning on doing it again in, in November, December time. 
and have it mixed with a board tag. I don't. I actually wouldn't mind if they did this because I think it makes it easier to follow the because you got all world tag league matches on one night and then all super junior matches the following night and you don't have what you sometimes get in these tournaments where you have people who are going to face each other the following night in a random tag match which doesn't usually add anything to the match they end up having would you, would you guys I'll start with you sir would you guys uh, be okay with seeing them mix it with world tag league again um, I mean I wouldn't mind it because at the same time like it is kind of hard to keep up with every single competition that New Japan have especially when it is quite sporadic um so i would i wouldn't mind um like i i didn't really care for tag league this year um just because you know i i didn't i didn't know if i was going to get a super juniors or not so that's the one that i was primarily focusing on um but yeah it's it's a bit of a hard one to say because obviously you had the pandemic, so for a long, long time, they were just doing next to nothing, and then they were doing, like, obviously shows in front of no crowds, and it it was really, really sort of hard to keep up with the product. Um, so when, this, when Japan were obviously allowing crowds to kind of come back and be really, really organised, as Japan usually is, um, it was a no-brainer to put it with Tag League, especially because you had... You had to sort of do something um, because obviously you had power struggle coming up at around about that time as well, and it to keep the product alive and obviously give the guys things to do. It's it was probably a lot better. Plus, it gave the guys that were in the heavyweight division, the ones that were doing all the shows at around about that time, um, a bit of a break as well. So, yeah, I I wouldn't say no to combining it with Tag League again, especially because I know Stephen does question why they do the tag match, like the random tag matches. Um, oh, it's, apparently point, it's, it's da- pointless. It's the, best, it's, it's the best thing about two-night Wrestle Kingdom. You don't get all this stuff. You know, it's just like, you just chuck it in. It's like... You, I'm, just, I'm, you don't get it. That You don't get why, why they do I'm, it, though. I'm sorry. I read a preview for Raw and somebody moaned that they chucked all the tag teams together in an eight-man tag match. It's like, oh, they're just chucking people in at random tag matches, yet they do it at Wrestle Kingdom. Oh, that's great. They've got an eight-man tag team tournament thing. Like, come on, man. You just you don't stick- understand why they do it. It's to build tension for that, for that singles floor. match. Ah. See, see when you get those two people... They're in a tag match and maybe they've never faced one another. I mean, it was the same with Kenny and Okada. They had never faced each other one-on-one and the build-up to that. And, you know, that was deemed one of the greatest rivalries in New Japan history. That is the reason that they do it. Yeah, but... It's to build that combination to it's like when they finally face each other and you're like, oh, what's going to happen? Well, back to my comparison with Raw. They've never... <laughs> they've, they've, we've never had Omos versus Randy Orton. But they were both in that eight-man tag match, you know? It's like, ah, next year at WrestleMania, I'm going to get Omos versus Randy Orton. Ah! See if that happens, right? See we if, have all the use of flames. See if that happens. I'm going to... I don't even know what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I, part of me would actually love to see Omos versus Randy Orton just to see how they would do it. But I do agree that sometimes the, the random tag, though, can be... Uh, but, you know, I sometimes wonder why they do it now. I've started watching it very much more regularly since we do East Meets West. Because, like, Wrestle Kingdom 14, having Sanada and 
uh, Saxon Jr. at the end of a tag match the night before their match at Wrestle Kingdom, or like uh, Goto and Kenta, and a, obviously the end of an eight man tag on night one of Wrestle Kingdom before their never open weight title match the following night. It uh, just like, feels like filler on, on the biggest shows. And like most recently, uh, I've been watching Buddy Road to Dontaku, uh, that's Atsuno no Kuni, and then Dontaku uh, Don itself. And if I have to watch another combination of LIG versus the fucking Empire, I think it might fucking jump out a window because there's only so many times you can see that kind of certain combinations of people going up against each other. It was the same last summer with Buddy Golden Aces and Dangerous Techers. But you know, what do you think of uh, the two tournaments being committed? Because obviously part of it is out of necessity with the, the pandemic and everything. And I do think if they do it this year, it'll probably won't do it next year if by next year uh, this time they, they can get things more regular and they'll probably have the best tumors more in the, the summer in 2022, but I think right now it's out of necessity. I think they should just scrap the World Tag League. I think it's rude. I think it's wrong. <laughs> I think it's... I think it's, it's, not, it's not like... They don't, half the tag teams are, are guff. I mean, you look at it every year and it's like, right, we have... <laughs> We have, I don't know, uh, what's up? I'm trying to think of a random example. I can't think off the top of my head. Uh, we'll have, we'll put Gato with, I don't know. Bablet uh, Valley. <laughs> Chase Owens. Ah! Uh, uh, no, we'll put, we'll put Gato with like, I, I don't know, Jonathan Gresham or something like that. I know they're never going to do that, but <laughs> it's going to be like, because obviously they can't, they know. But it's like, nah, it's pointless, you know. It's not like an AEW. See if AEW did a World Tag League. Good. Uh-huh. Works. They have 20 million tag teams. Amazing. <laughs> but uh, New Japan, it's always going to be, well, it was always Evil Sonata or what's the faces? Tonga and his brother. I can't mind the names. <laughs> <laughs> I can't mind the names. That's quite terrible. So it's just like, and then we eventually get Finn just chucked in there and then it was just like, mash, mash, mash. in there, they are a world-class tag team. Oh, not a doubt, but they were originally just chucked in there. Let's be brutally honest, you know, I'm going to get a lot of grief when this show comes out, but I don't care. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can, I can literally feel Grabbit and Robbie seething right now, and we're recording this in advance, so he's not even listened to it yet, but I can still feel it, even before he's even, if he's even listened to it. Oh, Justice for Fingers, oh my God. You're talking about the Impact World Tag Team Champions, I'll have you know. Yeah, but who watches Impact? Me. <laughs> I do. <laughs> oh. Move so on. you're outnumbered on this show, buddy. I was well aware of that when I made the comment. Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, uh, well, Tagley, especially more so than Super Juniors last year, was affected by the lack of like teams being able to travel because we're lucky to get like the Finches and Girls of Destiny in there. But I think some people were hoping for Good Brothers, but they couldn't get that. But I think we come to later this year, with the idea of the Forbidden Door, maybe we might get to see the Good Brothers in there. Maybe we'll see some teams from other promotions or people from the Super Juniors in there. I think it kind of worked out for them in terms of, well, usually we do the best juniors for a, a challenger at Dominion. Then we've got a perfect way to set up a junior heavyweight title match at Wrestle Kingdom on the biggest show of the year. So it kind of worked out well for them. It was kind of obvious, as they already mentioned too, that Ishimori was probably going to not win and he was going to go in the face uh, Hiromu. Uh, at risk in which he did but at least uh, they changed up a wee bit by giving you on night one the Super J Cup winner versus the best of Super Juniors winner mm-hmm. to like you said sir, really choose who is the at the end of the weekend we would find out who is the best of the juniors 
Yeah, I mean, we always knew it was going to be my boy, Hiromu. <laughs> we all knew. As much as I did get actually a bit, I uh, just a little bit scared <laughs> because I know how much New Japan love Elf and <laughs> And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> but then again, obviously, going up against his actual, you know, junior tag partner, I was like, nah. Nah, it's got to be Hiromu versus Ishimori. It's got to be. And I was like, that the, the relief. That was like, yeah, my boy is the best of Super Juniors. Score you all. I mean, who, who, you can't not love El Fantasma, even though he's maybe a heel, you know. You know, I, I once said on a show with Grant, you know, about his, his actions. I don't know. Fantastic Dick Baggery, I said, I described it. It's not even a word, I don't think. I think I just made that up, but <laughs> it's just the best way he can describe how he acts in the ring. But you mentioned Hiromu, and I think that perfectly tight takes us into the next section of the show where we're going to talk about our. Uh, Super Juniors MVPs and you've got somebody who I think it was just a, a matter of time in our group chat when we were deciding who was going to come up with his name first. <laughs> if Grant McRobbie was here he'd definitely have taken him first. Yeah and Grant McRobbie would have had his balls chopped off because I love Hiromu <laughs> more. We all know it. Because right? I may have cried when Christian came back in the Royal Rumble. I came back like, well, no, actually, I didn't come back. I cried when Hiromu came back to challenge Will Osprey for that junior heavyweight championship because it was it was obviously Osprey that took him out in the first place. So, yeah, I cried. I was like, he's my favourite. I've got Daryl. I have Daryl in my bedroom that was brought back from Japan, specifically, you know, Hiromu. I need to get Carol. Next time Daniel goes to Japan, I'm getting Carol. Um, <laughs> but... I think, see, in this generation, you've got a whole basket full of super juniors. But when it comes to not even just like the wrestling ability, like the the not even even the character work and how how he comes across. I mean, it's always fun to see Hiromu in uh, the best of super juniors. I mean, first of all, he has his playbook. Right, his infamous playbook that he brings to the ring every single match, even when he's actually doing commentary, because he has done that sometimes as well, and put down like his tactics. And it's not even legit tactics. I mean, I, I can't even off the top of my head think what's going inside Hiromu's head, because it's probably scarier than Kota Ibushi's mind, and we all know that Kota Ibushi's mind is scary as hell. <laughs> so... <laughs> And it's, it's, you just can't help but love him, in my opinion. I mean, he's got the sort of quirky personality, the really bright colours. And, like, he's probably, like, one of the more, the most lovable junior that you can possibly get. And, like, see when you put, like, watch his matches. I mean, um, I'll talk about his matches in the most recent um, Super Juniors. But, like, there were some that proper proper get shit i mean even one of his matches and like robbie eagles was brought back for this one tournament right and this was probably robbie eagles most like his longest match i mean Hiroma was averaging at least 20 minutes for the like pair match in the entire competition if not longer i mean his match with robbie eagles was actually the longest recorded match at 26 minutes and when you when you think about that, um, especially with like he can't he doesn't just do flippy stuff. 
he does hard hits as well. I mean, we've seen the state of some people's chests. We've also seen the state of his chest when he's come out of a few matches. Um, but I don't, I don't know what it is that makes you get drawn to Hiromu Takahashi. But when, when it came to defending like his sort of best of Super Juniors against um, Show and as well as like obviously Desperado. Because that's where I did actually pin him in the tournament. So even though he lost against them, he still got the chance to try and take off. And then his match with El Fantasmo, he brings you in. Because not he's not only funny, but he's also good. Mm-hmm. So for me, like winning the Super Juniors, I mean, he won back in 2018. And then he won his first Super Juniors back after having mm-hmm. like a really good run with that junior tag belt. All the way through, even taking part in like the New Japan Cup, and I was saying to to Naito, it's like I want to wrestle the heavyweight champion, and obviously I, he was glad it was him at the time. Um, but it still didn't hold him back because you've seen a great matches that he had with Evil, and it just he's not scared to sort of take on anybody that's mm-hmm. like of any weight caliber or any skill level. Um, and like for me, see his see his recent um, Super Juniors was the best I've seen of him. It it doesn't look like he was out for so long with like a career threatening injury, and it it makes you happy because you're like, this is the sort of wrestling I love to see. It's technical, it's high flying, and it's striking, and you kind of get scared. Of what's going to happen next like you're actually on the edge of your seat you're wanting to see how this match plays out and um, so yeah. that's why for me Hiromu and all his flamboyantness and his play cards and everything it just it makes it makes you want to get invested absolutely I mean I remember before, right before the pandemic it looked like at the anniversary show it was going to be Naito v Hiromu and Naito, Hiromu was even pushing for the titles to be on the line like, like, like we end up getting with Ebushi and Desperado the year later, and uh, but it's good that, like I said, that he was he did get that opportunity in the New Japan Cup. I remember being so heartbroken when Okada beat him in the semis, but I was happy that he got that far and that he got that title match with with Evil, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is one of the best matches Evil's had in a, a long time. Yeah, because uh, Evil's boring right now. Yeah, outside of fighting Sonata, it's the best match Evil I think's had, but Stephen. It is amazing, even though he returned like end of twenty sixteen from his excursion and joined LIJ. It's amazing how much how quickly uh Hiromu's captured people's imaginations. Uh like Grammy McRobbie even had him down as one of the wrestlers he had, he looked up to and admired uh when he did that show, kind of really talk about wrestling heroes, so it goes to show how much of a fixture he's become in the junior heavyweight division in such a short time. It's, it's yeah, really- I mean- like, sorry, I'm just, it's like, he's 31 years old, and you just think of how much he's more he's going to have to offer. I love it. You look at his early, uh, he was in a few of these early uh, U-Japan, I don't know U-Japan's the best of the tournament very early on in his career. 2013, he comes out zero from eight in that one. I mean, against the likes of Liger, Alex Shelley, Ricochet. Uh, so, he, 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 he's grafted, don't get me wrong. I mean, he's, he's, he's went through it, but as Sarah said, he's a colourful character. I think that kind of attracts to a lot of people. Uh, people are drawn to him quite a lot of them. 
he can go, he can go in any style of things. You mentioned that match against everybody's big boring uh, evil himself. <laughs> uh, and um, Emden who comes back from an injury that he got. I mean, Sarah seems to think it was Will Osprey took him out. I mean, poor Dragon Lee's sitting in his house going, yep, dodged the bullet. But everybody who comes back for an injury like that deserves respect, you know, and he will go far where he can push to the heavyweight division. Who knows? But, you know, two wins in three years, the stats are with him. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can't argue with, with that. And we will talk about his two finals very soon on this show. But there are one thing I'll say about uh, her Romel and say about his longevity in terms of his career. Because like he doesn't look say one years old to get to a fair to him. I thought he was like late twenties maybe. But the fact that uh every three junior heavyweight title reigns, two of them have ended because he had to forfeit due to injury. And like they see the style that he wrestles, you no know, throwing you no know, everything at the wall, you know, he's doesn't not afraid to take risks. Because, like you said, he, like, 20 minutes, he was constantly going in the Super Juniors most recently. Uh, much like Naito and the G1, his block, he was wrestling the most accumulative time. But the difference between him and Naito is Naito is trying, there's this whole tranquil thing, he takes his time, he builds in the pace of these matches, whereas Hiromu uh, is just out of the gate, like, out, out of the gate, like, immediately and keeps it up throughout the entire match. And you, do you, what, is there fear that maybe the style that he wrestles will inevitably catch up to him in the long run. I hope not. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's too precious and must be protected at all costs. <laughs> um, maybe we should maybe come back and wrestle, you know, have a, every part of his gimmick he wrestles in bubble wrap so we can at least preserve him for a few more years. I mean, with all fairness, he would probably even make that, you know, <laughs> worth watching. <laughs> because... You can't you can't turn around and say that you don't enjoy watching his weird gimmicks. I mean, I love him just as much as I love Yano, and we all know how much I love Yano and his antics, the king of pro wrestling, who will always be the king of pro wrestling. <laughs> but I I do fear, especially yes, it was Dragon Lee. I was I was in my mind. I keep thinking it's Will Osprey because I just don't like Will Osprey. <laughs> but no, it was Dragon Lee. I mean. He broke my boy's neck. He broke his neck. Um, so the way that it does make me fear, just like don't do that. Why are you doing that, Hiromu? Come on. But it's not like this is me pretending that I'm his pal and <laughs> watching him in the crowd going, "Why are you doing that?" But we all know that he's off his head. If he 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 like thankfully he doesn't think he's God, um, mm. and that he's like indestructible. He's not quite there yet, um, but he makes it fun, and that's what the big appeal for me is: is that he makes everything fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to be like you know a downer by saying about the, the longevity career because of the style of wrestler. I just think it was a a point uh, that should be made because you know, he's done quite a lot for the junior division. You know, he said he wants it to main event uh, Wrestle Kingdom one mm-hmm. day or main event the Tokyo Dome at least, and you know, I think the Junior Heavyweight Championship, like when you look at the two nights of uh, the Grand Slam, you've got one in the Tokyo Dome, which you know is going to be for the world title. Mm-hmm. There's something that says that Yokohama Stadium couldn't be main evented by the Junior Heavyweight title. And it's just a shame that it won't be, if it is, it won't be him that's defending it. But because uh, he must be gutted that Desperado got that match for the world title at the anniversary show that he didn't get. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, he, he's already like as much as you see Risk Kingdom uh, night two, night two Risk Kingdom fifteen. Uh, that was the highest on the Risk Kingdom card the junior heavyweight title had ever been. Mm-hmm. So I think he's part responsible for that. So he, he, I don't know if, when, or even if he will want to go up to the heavyweight division. I think for now he is happy to help elevate the status of the juniors even yeah. further than they are. I mean, well, he's always said that I don't. I personally don't think Hiromu will ever go up to the heavyweight division. I think he will probably just stay as a junior, but still want to challenge for it because mm-hmm. I I think he doesn't believe in the like the sort of cuts between the limits. Um, but I think see when it does ever happen that the junior heavyweight championship is like the main event of like even just one of the nights of Wrestle Kingdom that it's he's his name's gonna be up there for like being legendary along with Jushin Thunder Liger. Like that's what I personally think he's got he's got bright ideas for it. Mm. I mean he did pin Jushin Liger in his final batch, so I think the idea of him taking on that Liger position in the division, you know, it's already the seeds have been planted, you know, it's just to see where, we've got to wait and see where he goes from here when he gets back from his latest injury. Mm-hmm. But but Stephen, now we move on to, to your uh, Super Juniors MVP. Yeah, I'm going to go somebody a bit less recent, but somebody very well known. You may know him as, well, as your current incarnation as Finn Balor, but back when he was in New Japan wrestling in the Super Juniors, he was known as Prince Devitt. Uh, what can be said, it's not been said about the man. You know, if you're not familiar with his running in New Japan, he was synonymous with the junior heavyweight division, much like uh, Liger that came before him. He competed in five, officially, officially he competed in five Super Junior tournaments. He had to withdraw from two in 2007 and 2008. But if you look at his track record in the tournaments he was in, you can understand why he is an MVP. You know, he was the, I believe, the first European uh, winner of the Super Juniors tournament when he won it. Back in 2010, he was a two-time winner, winning it both then and in 2013. And just how well he did in every tournament he was in just screams out to it. He lost the final in the first year he was in 2009 to Koji Kuramate. I can never pronounce his name right, but he lost to the man who would become a three-time winner of the Super Juniors tournament, the second winner behind Liger, if you count the previous name. Uh, went on obviously winning it in 2010 with 10 points defeating his tag team partner Taguchi and Kota Ibushi in the final uh, he would lose to Taguchi the next year uh, making the semi-finals and he also made the semi-finals in 2012 where he lost to low key but it was his second win in 2013 which was probably up there as one of the best you know wins of all time in that one he, 16 points he amassed in that particular Super Juniors tournament. There was, you mentioned Scott Eller on about Liger going the full tournament unbeaten, mm. but there was a much smaller bracket that he had to deal with at that particular point. This was a block of nine wrestlers, and, you know, Ballard Devitt went through them all completely unbeaten over that time. And if you look at the names that was in it, I mentioned some of them earlier on when I talked about uh, Hiromo. Uh, Hiromo was in it. Liger was in it, Trent, or Trent Barretta, whoever you want to call him, was in it, Taichi, Rocky Romero, Ricochet, Alex Shelley, uh, Titan, uh, a Mexican wrestler, if anyone's familiar with him, I was not, 
before I was looking at this to this. So there you go. Uh, then he went on to beat Alex Shelley and Kenny Omega to become to win that year's tournament. And I believe at that point, this is when he was the leader of Bullet Club. This is the the year that Bullet Club really came to the fore. So not only did this establish his dominance in the tournament, but it established you know Bullet Club as the big new upcoming stable in New Japan. And did you look at Bullet Club now? Completely mm-hmm. makes sense, you know. And he's, if you look at the career he still had in WWE, many people say he probably could have had done, had done more in WWE, but he's still got a fantastic resume. And if you just, somebody who's never actually, you get a lot of the big names in this one, they've kind of fell at the round robin stage at, at times, but to never, other than the two times they had to withdraw, to never actually fall at the round robin just shows that he is the, you know, he's the MVP in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a help. The fact that he's up there with in such a limited company alongside like the Vliger to not only win it more than once but go undefeated and yeah, like you said, it's a much bigger field. You know, the field has has grown over time and now more recent ones we've seen, the exception of last year's uh, nine in each block, so a total of eighteen competitors and yeah, this is like only a few months into Bullet Club's run and, you know, he may be the only leader of Bullet Club to not win the title, the the heavyweight title, but the fact that he came across so dominant as and so believable as the leader of this faction, while the junior heavyweight champion shows how much uh, prestige is behind that belt. And uh, I think this also was what Bullet Club needed in those first few months to showcase them as a dominant group, to have their leader go through the tournament, basically go through the division to show he is the best junior heavyweight. And I believe that year he also, before Osprey did in 2019, he competed in the G1 Climax with the junior heavyweight title, and I believe Liger may have done it before him, or at least Liger went in as a junior into the G1, maybe not as junior heavyweight champion. So again, he's in rarefied companies, Finn Balor or Fergal Devitt, as he was then. I mean, yeah, I would say it was it's such an impressive one um, to see like his, his 2010 and his uh, 2013 wins, especially. Um, but yeah, I mean, for for having the fact that he was leader of Bullet Club at this time, never having like the actual heavyweight title, I don't think it even diminished him. The fact that it's like, oh, you're just a junior, like yeah. that. That is the, that's the, probably the more important thing because you do get people that are like, oh, but they're just a junior. And you're like, the juniors are just as important. I mean, if not slightly more interesting than the heavyweights from time to time. I mean, look at Evil. <laughs> unfortunately, like unfortunately, he has become really, really boring. Bad Luck Valley, really, really boring. I mean, this is why these like, well, Bad Luck Valley gets obviously chucked into like the New Japan Rumble, um, along with like you know the New Japan Dad to the people that we don't like. Um, so yeah, I th- I think like see having Fergal Devitt as like one of the MVPs, it's it's no surprise because. Watching back and even looking back at like these results, like it was one of very few to do it. It was like the first one to do it in what we would probably call the modern era from like 2010 onwards. So yeah, like it, it, it's it's totally totally well deserving of that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Again, as a, we've not seen somebody that dominant even a since very well. So before we move on, like again. Uh, it definitely deserves to be up there just for that, uh, the 2013 performance alone. But also, like, the idea of him being a bushy, 
that the people might forget that they even faced off and they did so in 2010. Also, as I mentioned before, uh, Wild Pegasus uh, being the for a while the only guy who won it twice up until you know Virgil uh, Devitt. So again, you know that's further again and verified there in terms of the top accolades of this uh, division. So fair play to you for fair choice from you uh, for your MVP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely and. It may be NXT champion by the time this comes out. No, no, it won't be actually. No, this, it, it, he's challenging for the NXT title the day this comes out. So he may be, he may not be. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Well, I'm going to go into who I think is who I've chosen my MVP and another person who's a two time winner of the best of Super Juniors. And that is a guy who's also uh, competing in NXT. He could be competing on tonight's episode of NXT for all we know. Uh, he is the current. NXT Cruiserweight Champion uh, Kushida so you know it makes sense that Kushida is finally you know, in the Cruiserweight division in NXT given how prominent he was in the junior division you know, I think he was very much the A of the division for a while and he won it in 2015 uh, earning his highest point, number of points in the tournament with 12 uh, he was unsuccessful that year challenging uh, Kenny Omega division but would eventually beat Kenny Omega uh, at the following Wrestle Kingdom, and following that, Kenny Omega would leave the junior division, go up to heavyweight, and then Kushida, you know, as the AC would put you know, over like the next up and coming guys, guys like Ishimori and Turomu, and I think in 2017, in 2017 at Risk 11, he beat, he lost to Hiromu uh, for the title, lost again in a rematch, and so his story in 2017 with him going through trying to. You know, get back to the old Kushida, you know, trying to get back to the title. And he came up against Will Osprey, who was the previous year's winner. And, you know, they were going through the story that, you know, at that point, Will Osprey had never beaten Kushida. And so there was this, you know, interesting dynamic going on because either man could easily have won. Uh, I should mention Kushida's got an average point or of eight uh, points uh, throughout the tournament. You know, that's the most common you know, points he walks away from. So he always looks strong, even if he doesn't uh, always win the tournament. He's been in a few times as champion. He actually competed for the first time in 2010 as kind of an outside wrestler. He was uh, representing Smash Wrestling, uh, different, uh, an independent Japanese promotion, before coming in a few years later. Uh, so I think just for how prominent he's been in the division and the fact that uh, we're going to talk about his 2015 match later on, but his 2017 match, you know, we had the mix with Osprey, you know, still relying on the high flying, whereas, you know, she relentlessly worked on the arm to kind of not only limit Osprey's offense, but uh, set him up for the Harvard block, which he didn't end up needing. Uh, where he beat him with the Back to the Future once off the middle rope, and then in the center of the ring, which is kind of the fisherman into the kind of version of the Brainbuster, and he would then go on to win the title back from Hiromu. I think honestly there was a lot of hype right for the sofa because when he came in uh, to NXT. I think you know you look at back at his history and the Super Juniors and just as a junior heavyweight. And it's a fan. The fact that he's the cruiserweight champion, I think, is a good sign for that too. I mean, it took them long enough to put the title <laughs> on Kushida. I mean, I think we all remember me ranting and raving last year about how that tournament to crown the new cruiserweight champion was supposed to be Kushida's push, and he, he got it a year later, right? <laughs> uh, he got there, and he was floundering for a very long time. Um, which is a bit of an insult, <laughs> if anything. Because, um, like, see, when he got signed to uh, to NXT, 
there was a massive buzz around it. I mean, he was a big get. Um, mm. Obviously, taking leave from Japan and moving across the world to go to a completely new, different style of wrestling. Um, and it unfortunately wasn't really well received. Um, but he was never, I would say he was never, he was a bit hit or a miss with the New Japan crowd uh, from time to time. I, I guess he was either maybe a bit too ahead of his time, like in terms of gimmick, like the whole Back to the Future thing. Because um, that's more pop culture over here. Like we get that gimmick. Um, it's just sometimes it's kind of hard to get a gimmick across or get like a style or um, even just like a persona over. Um, but the proof is in the numbers. I mean, three years in a row that Kushida was in it, he went from eight points in his, his block to ten points to then only winning, like losing one match um, yeah. or actually getting like about 15 points, I think it was, um, in his final one that was like, yeah, because like, the only person that beat him was Nick Jackson in um, the 2015 for B Block. Like he was the only person that actually won uh, that the beat him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it comes it just goes to show that it's not a sprint. It is literally a marathon. Like it, you can't always start out and be instantly pushed to the top. I mean, it was the same with Hiromu. His first ever G, uh, his first ever best of Super Juniors, he didn't win a single match. It's the same with Yuma um, this year when he obviously replaced um, Kanemoto. So it's it is literally a marathon, and this is why, like pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. I mean, this there's no wonder that like those two years in his final 2014 2015. Uh, best of Super Juniors that he was in the final um, mm-hmm. and like yeah he, he may have lost to Ricochet but that was still a beautiful match and then yeah. his match with Kyle O'Reilly is one of the like the best matches that I have that I've seen um, like in I'd say recent years up until maybe last year's uh, Best of Super Juniors so it does go to, does go to show that there is a development and that the the trust that happens um mm-hmm. so i think like see when kushida has now become the cruiserweight champion it does show those testaments like yeah he's a he's a great champion but it's the fact that you know it took them long enough that i, I was thinking yeah. that kushida was getting to me made out a joke and it's like yeah. yeah should have been put back in japan mm. but as long as as long as they do right by him now because I don't know if I can take much more anger. Yeah, I don't know if the, the Back to the Future thing plays as well to a Japanese audience as it does to a more Western audience. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think just for the that he's not only won it twice, but, you know, he's also been willing to put people over outside the Super Juniors who are considered, you know, that, who are future winners of the tournament, like Hiromu to win his block before his final uh, in 2018 beat Kushida by submission with a movie debuted in that tournament. Uh, so you know he's always willing to put people over, but uh, Sarah mentioned uh, against Kyle O'Reilly, Stephen. So I don't know if you want to move into the next portion of the show. Where we talk about favorite matches from the tournament because uh, you've selected Kyle O'Reilly versus Kushida from 2015. Yeah, quickly before I talk about that one, just on Kushida, I think he's the classic example of a steady Eddie, like a mid. He was solid 
never won the tournament for so many long, but he was always dependable to have all these great matches. So when he eventually makes the final in 2004, you feel a sense of relief. Obviously losing to Ricochet that year, but no, I get, we go on to 2015 where he makes the final with my favourite best of the Super Junior match against, you know, cool Kyle himself, Kyle O'Reilly. Uh, so, uh, to give an idea that it says going into this tournament, uh, Kyle O'Reilly, this was his first year he was ever in the Super Juniors. He was representing Ring of Honor at the time, him and he's, uh, you know, he's, his dad's cousin's friend, Bobby Fish. <laughs> no, sorry, I love, I love Bobby Fish. He is good. Uh, the two of them made it through with 12 points each to make it to the final of that particular tournament. They both went through you know, various challenges of the tournament. But the these two go on half an hour. These two go at it in this Best of the Super Juniors final in 2015. Now, what I really liked is they go on for half an hour in this final, but in the whole blocks, no match goes on longer than 16 minutes, and that's Kashida's match with Bobby Fish, you know. So it kind of instantly feels like half an hour it's just this extra special thing, which I really, really liked about this particular one. Uh, you've got JR on commentary with Josh Burnett of Bloodsport fame, which was interesting uh, from the stream that I watched this on. Uh, it was uh, it was on a, it was on Access TV, I think, the stream that what I eventually seen it watched on it. So to see breaks in a New Japan final was weird. But this <laughs> does not take away from the match itself. These two kick absolute lumps out of each other. They just bat each other. I mentioned earlier on, you don't need to see high flying in it. There's barely a high flying move in this one. They, you know, they go to the mat, they submission base each other, uh, they kick lumps out of each other. They get some absolutely dodgy, dodgy bumps. There's one, I think it's like a brain buster suplex off the middle rope, and it, lo- I think it looks sore, you know. But that's only halfway through the match. They still go through it for this whole half an hour of time. It's just absolute... Pretty much the best way to describe it, if you've seen Kyle O'Reilly versus Finn Balor at NXT TakeOver last year, mm-hmm. this match is very, very similar to that one, only you replace Balor with Kushida. And a more t- and a more submission based kind of hold for hold type aspect of it. It's just as Sarah said, it's absolute one of the best matches you'll see in the Super Juniors. It's completely different level of type of match to what you see in the later years, the likes of Shingo versus Will Osprey, which I was very close to picking myself, but I thought everybody with their blooming uncle would pick Shingo versus Will Osprey. <laughs> probably if they were asked. So I thought I'd go a wee bit different for this one. It's a match as well that I found when I was researching this show. I'd never actually seen it before this, so uh, that's why I kind of went for that one in terms of that as well. Um, yeah, it's just great. I mean, four and, a half, four and three quarter stars it got from Uncle Dave uh, Meltzer on <laughs> The Observer. Uh, and, you know, they've not really wrestled much since then, which is great. They've never wrestled yet at NXT. The last actual meeting came at the British J Cup tournament in 2017 for Rev Pro. You know, and that featured the who's who of thing. Just Justin Funderliger won that particular tournament that year. <laughs> and uh, he beat uh, Kishida, Will Ospreay, and a guy who always bet Will Ospreay, whose name I'm not going to say in this particular show. People may guess what I'm talking about. And also featured a very underrated match between Tamahuro Ishii and Matt Riddle. So there we go. But no, I'm going to go for this one. Kick lumps out of each other. Great watch. Kushida, Kyle O'Reilly. I, I was very close myself to picking uh, this one. You know, I've heard 
Kyler Riley and we've talked about this match very highly as one of his first proper like standout singles matches because at that point in Japan and Ring of Honor he was known as you know a tag partner. First he was he teamed with Adam Cole and then he teamed with uh, Bobby Fish. They'd been all the time junior heavyweight tag champs, but this was really when you started to see what Kyler Riley could do. What we what we've seen from him in years since, how good he is as a single star. And so I think especially if like even though they haven't done it yet. If they booked this for like the next takeover, Kushida be Carol Riley. It wouldn't matter if there was any build or not. If the build was crap, he'd still be. He'd still sit there knowing I'm going to see a hell of a match here. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I would say this is when um, see the Western fans that maybe haven't witnessed this before that they they're going to take it for granted if it actually happens. Um, whereas obviously we'll be like completely buzzing or. Like, well, well, actually, yeah, we will be completely buzzing. Will not lie. I think the only person that would probably ever do their research is, you know, Stu Bennett. Is, or he'll be the only person that will properly do his research um, for this match and obviously build and hype it up. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, if it was to ever happen, I think all of us would be like, yes, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But don't forget, we did this with Shinsuke and AJ Styles at WrestleMania. <laughs> so... You've got to be careful at the same time, I would say. Yeah, I think the fact that it would take place in NXT, I think would give that a bit of an age more of excitement rather than, you know, be like, be careful. But <laughs> Don't ruin uh, this for us! Because, you know, like, these two like are really good in terms of, like, submission-based. So, like, again, it's another example of the style of junior heavyweight wrestling, like the mix of styles you can get. Uh, with Kishi with the hoverboard lock, Kayla can use any manner like submission moves as we've seen in these matches with uh, with Finn Balor. But thankfully, unlike with Finn Balor, she didn't walk out of this match with a broken jaw because that could have easily have happened. But I think in 2015 it made sense for Kishi that he won because he was still in the in the mix of the, the 2015 and 2016. It was very much back and forth for the title between him and Omega. So I think he was the logical winner that year. Speaking of, of logical winners, said a. In 2020, I think there was a clear winner everybody with uh, Hiromu Takahashi, and I think the match he, he won the used the final of that year's tournament as your match, yeah, your Super Juniors match. Uh, yes, I mean the best of the Super Junior 27 final. I mean, first of all, you had Desperado main eventing. First of all, you love to see it because I do love El Desperado as well as I love Hiromu, um, and. See, just seeing the start, it wasn't. It didn't take long for the two men to start striking each other, and it's it makes you wince every single time it happens. And then obviously you've got the wee El Desperado eye poke, which I don't think anybody who ever watches it doesn't chuckle a little bit when he does that, because um, that's it's it's a common thing, and I I do kind of love it. It's a, it's a good heel tactic, um. But see, just in terms of this was the fire. That, that they needed to sort of push this junior uh, this junior heavyweight division and see these two men. I was on the edge of my seat for the entire time that this was going on. I mean, you had flips, you had targeting the knee, um, all this sort of stuff, and then it, it, it even got to like the ten minute part, and then. You know, the the crowd is starting to clap because Romo's get finally getting like a bit of offense in. Um and yeah, see building up for this match and carrying on, it's like two really good wrestlers. Absolute really good wrestlers that 
have done this match. And, like, I think what was it that happened? Um, like, the crowd is sort of clapping along, right? And her role was tied up. But somehow it was turned into a Canadian destroyer. And you're like, mm. how? And <laughs> this is this is the magic that you get with the juniors. Like, I've always said, like, even from watching my very first Wrestle Kingdom, um, which was Wrestle Kingdom 12, obviously that, that four-way super uh, junior heavyweight uh, championship match um, that was funny enough won by, by Will Ospreay. Um, but... And that that was that was my favorite match. Everyone knows that I am the biggest fan of watching flippy stuff and watching like the acrobats because you like they defy gravity. They are making art. Like people always say, wrestling is like a soap opera, and this is what it's it's basically the super, like the super junior, just the competition in in general. It is like the theater. Like you just you have to sit back and just take it all in and just appreciate it. I mean, if mm-hmm. I ever got to chance to watch a Super Juniors match up close, hell yeah, I'm going to be taking it. But <laughs> I think what really got this as well is Hiromu started getting really, really frustrated and pissed off. And you get Desperado looking like he's about to murder Hiromu and rips off his damn mask. Like, <laughs> That's when you know shit's about to go down when, like, you know, the mask is coming off. But he just, <laughs> he just rips it, and he looked terrifying. Like, <clears throat> sorry, it's like it, it scared me, and I remember it scared Daniel as well. We're like, whoa, whoa, what the hell? He's like, he's just it's ripping off his mask, and then it's just it shots fire, and you're just like. Oh, shit's about to go down. Shit's about to go down. And they both looked incredible in this match. I mean, mm. for me, that was a five-star match. And it's like, I will die on the hill where that came from. Like, I will take that to my grave that that the, the junior um, final from last year was a five-star match. And, oh, oh, struggled to get much better than that. I know one of my favourite matches of 2020. I think it did get five stars. If no, if it didn't, it should have. Maybe it got higher. I don't know. I don't know exactly what Meltzer's rating was for that. But you know, I remember saying at the time how much I loved it. You know, the fact that he, he said they turned you know, a stretch muffler into with a leg wrapped around Desperado's head into a Canadian destroyer. I said to Grant at the time, just like, where does your brain even go to come up with things like that? I don't even know how you suggest that. Where, where, where is the scenario? I want to be a fly in the wall when her own sits same with this bar and says, what if, what if you lock me in this mission move and I turn it into a Canadian destroyer? Exactly. Like, <laughs> I don't even know how that happens. So I knew going into it, her own was probably going to win. Desperado was, was on a hell of a run that tournament. He was the most likely one to probably play a spoiler for her own And, you know, because mm-hmm. he's been off, coming off a hell of a year, you know, challenging Shingo for the Never title, winning back the junior tag titles with Kanemaru. And now look where he is now, where he briefly had two belts. Now he's just got the one. And, mm. and you know, he had featured matches at Dontaki and everything. So that was a, it did a lot for him, even though he lost. But, you know, I still felt like Hiromu was going to win. But as soon as the mask got torn up and you could see his, his face, I thought, like, okay, all bets are off. I don't know what the fuck's going to come next. The yeah. fact he took the mask off, 
and all the commentators like Kevin Kale and Gino Gambino were all like, oh, why is he hiding his face? He's actually very good looking. Like, <laughs> I mean, they like, like to put the best in a bad situation. <laughs> but I think, like, see if there had been someone else, I think uh, Liger was actually on commentary. I would love to have heard, heard the Japanese commentary for it. Mm-hmm. Or better yet, like, because we didn't actually have the full English commentary team. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, imagine if you had just had, like, someone like Rocky Romero sitting down at ringside. Because you know that he he likes to make everything a little bit more dramatic than what it actually is. But <laughs> <laughs> Romo, I think I, I can't wait for. I think they would eventually have had a rematch already uh, if Roman got injured. And I think when Roman comes back, hopefully this battle still the champion, so we can get more of these two together. But even honestly, I think we see what means there. So what more can you say? I mean, it is like I said, like. You, you hope you something. You hope we're terminally like the final is the best match of the tournament, and by far this was the best match of that year's Super Juniors. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was maybe just a combination of the the pandemic and the fact that it was one block, but the whole tournament didn't really take my imagination going into the final. I wasn't really feeling a lot of it. I'd say on paper, if I was to put anybody, attack it. Uh, Hiromu was a, a cert but I thought the best potential one going into the tournament might have been Sho I know Sarah would have been mm-hmm. happy about that as well mm-hmm. you know she would not have complained about that I mean at least it wasn't Master Water so we can take that with her <laughs> he was definitely not going to win it he's definitely not going to do anything my god that <laughs> man was overhyped oh my god he was more overhyped than evil he debuted in the, sh- he debuted in the show that evil nearly killed Sonata oh if I remember rightly anyway on the match end it didn't really live into it. So Desperado, I mean, I don't even know if Desperado would have been in the tournament if it was a normal year. I'm, I'm questioning it because he'd been in two Super, G, uh, Super Junior tournament before it. He was in 2014, 2017. He got six points each year. So he beat his total for the two years he was at it previously in this particular tournament. So fair play to him. Great year. And he probably delivers his best match ever on this particular night. You know, he goes... Toe to toe, punch to punch, strike with strike, with arguably the best super junior that the company's got. And, you know, the mask bot, I mean, it wasn't just in Thunder Liger getting his mask written off and he was face was all white, and you're like, oh my god, what the hell? Put that back on, man. Uh, but, oh, uh, yeah, I remember that. I remember Grant freaking out about that as well. I really <laughs> freaked out. Oh my god. It wasn't as bad as when. Uh, they made uh, Dustin Rhodes uh, seven in WCW. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a rough one. <laughs> but no, I think you you guys pretty much summarised everything about the match. <laughs> probably over delivered. Can't remember. I don't think it did get more than five stars, but I think it probably got. It was in the four to five bracket. Definitely. For me, it's five stars. If if I was do if I was doing my little ratings, it would have broken the Sarah scale. Yeah, did they put <laughs> did, did they put Master Watto in the final? There's an extra star for me. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't see why it wouldn't be five stars. Uh, also, the fact that going into it, it had been one block, so Desperado had already beaten Hiromu, not just beaten him, but he'd beat him verbally submit with a stretch muffler and kept grabbing both arms mm-hmm. up behind him. So, you know, psychologically, he had that edge going into it, and the fact that they were able to way like, exceed expectations, as Steven said, uh, with that match is just something else. But no, that match may not have got a five star, more than five stars, but the match I'm going to talk about did. It's got five and a half stars from Dave Meltzer, and this also involved Hiromu. This involves, ironically, the guy that Hiromu would go on to face 
and his opportunity uh, at Wrestle Kingdom after he won the tournament. Uh, it was Hiromu versus Taiji Shimori in the 2018 Super Juniors final. Uh, like I said, got uh, five and a half stars. Hiromu obviously had been the previously been the junior heavyweight champion, but lost it towards the end of the previous year to to Kushida, and now was trying to make his way back up. And you know, it wasn't really as cut and dry as maybe 2020 looked it to be, because going into Ishimori was kind of a hot new thing. He'd only debuted shortly before the tournament as the new version of Bone Soldier, and you know, he beaten well off being one of his first matches in the tournament. Who was the current champion? But you know, this is a, a hell of a match because you got, you know, Ishimori Wee's version of the uh, the Lobel Lock or the Yes Lock, and a Hiromu's debut a new triangle like choke move, which I believe he referred to as just D. Uh, <laughs> I watched the English commentary. We had Chris Saban and Kevin Kelly talking about it, and Saban had been in the tournament. He talked about how he he gave props to the submission because he tapped out to Kishida, tapped out to, and they were all joking about Hiromu's book. He says, no way, Robert, me in that book. What? Alex Shelley's friend. <laughs> <laughs> I love her, Robert, so much. And how, like, quite late this match, like, goes, like, to 100. Like, goes in the crowd, Roman does a running drop kick from one end of the crowd to the next. You know, uh, Ishii Mone hits a hurricane man, send them down a flight of stairs. You've got, like, submission-based wrestling, and then quickly you've got guys getting hit with Death Valley drivers in the corner. German Silverlights, the guys are landing on their, their feet. Uh, and like again, it was just, I think it went nearly half an hour again. Hiromi uh, won with the, the time bomb won this before he would uh, debut the second version, which I believe he used to beat Desperado. But this, uh, it's kind of sad that, like, you know, he went on to beat uh, Osprey at the Fallen Dominion. But it's so sad that, you know, he wasn't able to carry his momentum very much further, even because it would be shortly after this that he suffered that initial neck injury that kept him out for so long. Aye, that injury that Will Osprey gave him. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a shame because he was I on I wanted fa- it to be Will Osprey, okay. <laughs> he, he was on a fantastic run. You know, he was coming off that, he was the next big thing coming off. He was going to be absolutely, he, well, he is going to be a big star still, but how big of his star would have been if he didn't have that injury, we'll, we'll never really know, but this match with Ishimori is the longest match in the history of G1 up until this particular point. First final since 2011, it didn't feature a Gaijin wrestler. Uh, five and a half stars for Meltzer. It's just... I... I'm going to get killed if I say this one. I think the wrong man probably won. Because <gasps> I think Ishimori was on a hot streak as well at this particular point. I think he... They could have maybe held off. I mean... This is without the neck injury aspect to it. Obviously, with the neck injury, I still think he should have won. He probably won that was probably the best thing. But if he didn't win this one, then he wouldn't have been in the place to get the neck injury. We still would have had him going, you know. Uh, you know. But I thought, I thought Ishimori was brilliant at this particular point, which is why I think he would have won it. Not complaining about Hiromo winning it, but you fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it was a very very high octane match I think it's fair to say and uh, yes he's yes that is a picture of Hiromo Sarah thank you <laughs> <laughs> I, I do agree with you to an extent uh, uh, that I don't think he's been as hot as he was since then because like that, yeah I like his team with Desperado uh, when they were doing every tag chance but I do think uh, there were times where he kind of may have been you know overshadowed 
by Desperado and how like, over how cocky he is. You know when he won the title. You mean fantastic? Right, uh, when he won the yeah, when he won the title. <laughs> I don't. I say Desperado. Yeah. So, well, to me, he was L in the name with the uh, New Japan. But yeah, when he and El Fantasmo were teaming together, they kind of Fantasmo kind of overshadowed him a wee bit. When he won the title from Kushida, I don't know if it meant as much because the only reason Kushida was champion was because Hiromi got injured and they had to have that many tournaments to create a new champion. Uh, and again, he was he wasn't made to feel like the biggest deal after, even though like him beating Hiromi for the title. Him being for the title was shocking back in the summer of 2020. He was then not made to feel as big because everybody going into the subject was saying about how Hiromu was the biggest star of the tournament. But I definitely think, uh, Sarah, that Ishmael will win the tournament at some point, you know, because he did have a lot of hate coming in as a former pro wrestling Noah junior heavyweight champion. He was much more of a high flyer. We did see him try and hit the 450 in this match and fail. But, you know, he's a much more serious kind of wrestler in this match. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can't go wrong with a Nishimori match. I mean, the fact that he was brought in to be the reincarnation of this new Bone Soldier um, thing that was formerly known as a bloody massive joke says a lot. I mean, he, he currently he always puts on like really, really good matches. I mean, he is also a former Impact Exhibition champion, and that mm-hmm. is a very prestigious title as well, especially for people that are, you know, coming from outside companies. Um, so, I would say, like, it is hard to watch, like, hard to, not, it's not hard to watch, his matches are very easy to watch, and I enjoy them. Um, but part of me would have probably said that um, he probably should have won the best of Super Juniors in 2018. It's, like, I love Hiromu, and I will, you know, die with that love um but it's 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 quite hard when you do have like these these two are the absolute top like the current top of the junior um heavyweight division in new japan you think ishimori and horomo takahashi there's a lot of people that are up and coming especially when it comes to like my my breakout um from all of it so yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, if, I would say I would actually maybe tip him to maybe be the winner of this year's Best of Super mm-hmm. Juniors if it goes ahead. Um, like I'm very, very good at predicting winners. I, I still, I, I'm going to, you know, take this on the hill and die with it. That I still think that Jay White should have won the the New Japan Cup instead of Evil. If he had been around, he would have won it. Um. And it's the same. Like I, I have a strong feeling that Ishimori is. It's like. It's, even though he's a lot older than Hiromu, he doesn't look like it. He doesn't yeah. act like it. I mean, you would never guess that this man is 38 years old. You would never guess it. Absolutely not. He looks a lot like it does look a little bit older than Hiromu, but again, Hiromu doesn't look like he's in his early 30s, whereas Ishimori does definitely does not look like he's coming up for 40 in a couple of years, which I know that's the sort of what's the word I'm looking for? Advantage of being Japanese, I would say, because they don't look their age. Like, nobody looks their age, and it's really quite scary some of the times. So, I would probably I would probably say that he, he's still going to be, like, the top, but he's, I would say Ishimura is probably one that's going to be the top of, like, maybe the tag division, like, the junior tag division from here on out. Um, mm-hmm. 
for what he's got left on him. But if he doesn't win this year, then it's a very, very, very big shame. Mm-hmm. You know, it is shocking that like he looks that good for like, 38. No, better than I probably ever will. But uh, I think I was wrong about Romeo. He's been a four-time junior weight champion and like 50% of his title reigns have ended by injury. The only two people to actually beat him for the title were Ishimori and uh, Kushida. But, you know, it's not to say that Romeo was bad at champion, but, you know, it's just a shame when you look at hindsight the fact that he got injured and then, you know, Ishimori again hasn't been seen as that prominent position. But I wouldn't put him past him to win this year's one. I thought it would be more likely if uh, Roman was still champion and we could basically have a rematch of the previous year's Wrestle Kingdom, where this time the rules are reversed and who's champion and challenger. But we are, we have run on a bit here in this podcast. Uh, we still have our breakout uh, performances in the tournament to talk about. Uh, Stephen, I know you do have to leave us very soon, so if you want to give us uh, your breakout performance uh, before you go. Yeah, I'm going to go with the one in 2010, and it's won by a man who held a lot of uh, gold on the company very, very recently. Yeah, it's the performance of Kota Ibushi in the 2010 tournament. As I mentioned earlier on, he'd lost the final uh, to Prince David, Finn Balor, but uh, he had a hell of a run going into it. I think which makes it a break is kind of before this particular point, Kota Ibushi was more of a guy who was more associated with wrestling in the uh, DDT. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody who watches DDT wrestling knows it's not as serious a wrestling company in the full grand scheme of things, as a New Japan as that. They're very known for their comedy style of wrestling, you know, hardcore. Just any wrestling away from traditional wrestling, they tend to associate a lot more with it, as opposed to New Japan, which mainly focuses on the, you know, main technical hard-hitting side of things. But Abushi kind of, he wrestled in the 2009 tournament, had a very impressive performance then, but in the 2010 it really came to light and showed like a static he is, you know. And his block, he had a very, very tough block. He only lost one match in that, out of this list of competitors, which included Devitt. He beat Devitt in the block before losing to him in the final. Davey Richards, Justin Thunder Liger, of course we're going to mention Liger, who was his only loss. He beat Kushida as well. And he also beat a man known as La Sombra, better known to mm. many of us as Andrade. Andrade's only best of Super Junior's uh, participation today, I believe. Uh, beat Taguchi. Did he beat Taguchi? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think I may have had I think I maybe get mixed up here. I think I had Taguchi. Anyway, he won his semi final, <laughs> and then he. I'll put myself off. He, he, then he then he lost to Devitt in the final. But I think it was a big step forward for Kota Bushi in terms of becoming the star that we know he is right now. Yes, he did beat Taguchi. Who did put? Oh, I said Devitt beat Taguchi earlier on. I'm going to say, uh, clarify. Devitt beat Ishimori earlier on. Right. So, half an hour ago... I'm I not the that, other one who makes mistakes. Half an hour ago, <laughs> I, half an hour ago, I said that Devitt beat Taguchi. No, Devitt beat Ishimori. Right. Anyway, but back to Bushi, you know, if you look at everything that he's went on to become, you know, doing all the things he's doing now when he was the champion, becoming probably the best, one of the best wrestlers on the planet, probably up there in the top five at the very least. He even had that fantastic, if not brief run in WWE when he was part of the Cruiserweight Classic, you know. Just, I think it's a breakout because of everything that he's kind of became in this one and it felt so small at the time, but just when it's moaned into the 11 years and the particular, you know, that stretch at that tournament as well, those names that I mentioned, it's hard to better them in a block. And he did it, so fair play to him. 
got a bushy for me in 2010. Mm. Uh, fair enough, because like I said, he probably was more known for DET at that time. And it's it's so weird to think now that he started off in the junior division alongside you know, K.O. Megan, you know, the Golden Lovers were a team challenging for the junior heavyweight uh, tag team titles, uh, as opposed to the heavyweight ones. And I think, actually, we look at back at it, since then, he's won every title you can hold in New Japan. I think the least belts he's not really held yet are the US and the six-man titles, mainly because those two belts weren't invented yet when he, you know, he started off in New Japan. But it's amazing how much he's accomplished uh, since then. I mean, absolutely. You don't become God by not, you know, being a, such a breakout in the company. I mean, yeah, like you've just said, the man is basically unstoppable. Like, he has held pretty much nearly every title that there has to offer. I mean, and how old is he yet? He's not even that bloody old. It's scary. I think he may be rumoured mid but yeah, again, he might be much like Ishimori and Hiroma that we've already talked about. He may be one of these cases that he's older than we do realise and is... Yeah, he's, he's 38. Still, still, he's in such good shape, he just puts all the rest of us to shame. But, he's 38, turning 39, and like by the time this show comes out, he'll be turning 39. Jesus Christ. It makes also, you feel like shit, doesn't it? I know. It does now. God, I... I may be doing some comfort eating after this show is finished recording. But <laughs> it's also a little cool thing when we talk about a breakout performance. The fact that he then come back, came back and won it the following year shows again his progression, which I think is why he's such a good choice for a breakout performance. Oh, yeah. No, abs- absolutely. I mean, he's one of the ones that, like I said, just in terms of the actual development of winning a, a Super Juniors tournament that it is literally a marathon and Kota Ibushi has just sort of come and he's been strong without mm-hmm. looking like an idiot at any time. Um, and I think see him not signing with WWE after the Cruiserweight Classic was the best thing, that he, the best decision he ever made. Not also the fact that he didn't know who Vince McMahon was and just, you know, casually put his hand up for a high five to Vince McMahon. Right? Because <laughs> that's the kind of thing that Kota Ibushi does. Um, and he definitely would not have been able to do half the crazy shit that he does now. I mean, he's been banned from companies for doing things that he's not been allowed to do. And he's God. Let God be God. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's, it's amazing that they even let him win the Super Juniors, given that, you know, up until about 2017, I think it was, that was when he finally like signed a proper contract with New Japan. Like, he was known for not wanting to sign anywhere. He could have signed with WWE if he wanted to, but didn't. You know, he was just he just liked to go go on all these different promotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about mine your breakouts uh, before we wrap up. I think I'll start with mine first because I technically still think mine is a bit cheating, but uh, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm hosting the show, so whatever. I told because, you it's not a cheat. <laughs> because mine, uh, the reason I say it's cheating is that this guy was around for a long time. He think he debuted in 2004. But I didn't know about him until he came in New Japan, and this is when I really took notice of him. I'm sure a lot of other people did. I'm talking about Shingo Takagi in 2019. When when you look at him, he, like, he does not scream junior. He was clearly massive compared to a lot of the other guys in the tournament. No, it's no wonder that shortly after the the final of this tournament, he moved up to heavyweight you know, and began mm-hmm. a whole new story where while he was big in the juniors, he's not the biggest heavyweight, but still he'll beat the hell out of you. <laughs> you know, Shingo Takagi 
may have like lost in the, the finals to Will Osprey. And what was a hell of a match uh, at the time, but it really holds up. Like me and Grant have, have talked about how the subsequent matches have really struggled to capture that same feeling. Maybe because mm-hmm. we took, we're, we were still associated with that first match because it was so good. And you know, Shingo actually, I think, has the record right now for the highest amount of points you know, gathered in a best of super juice because obviously the final, you don't get any points for that. It's about your points leading up to the block final mm-hmm. and then points you get for that win. And that's your overall total. He he got a total of eighteen points. Yep. You know, going undefeated, which also helps because Osprey had uh, two losses, I believe. And he he came out with fourteen points. So, you know. I, I know, like see, I think I, I I would definitely say that see having Shingo is your breakout. It's not cheating in the slightest. I mean, he only joined New Japan in twenty eighteen. Um, so if you look at it from you know joining New Japan, definitely a breakout. I mean, yeah, he may have debuted in two thousand and four. A lot of people did, um, but that doesn't make <laughs> them any less of a breakout because it's just like the sort of thing that makes them shine. And yeah. when he took part in the twenty nineteen Best of Super Juniors, I mean, he defeated every single person. And like I said earlier, nobody does that. <laughs> unless you're going to be like getting made out to be this amazing star like nobody wins all their matches especially on the first goal around it's the same with the g1 nobody does it on the first goal like it's very very i don't think anybody's like unlike apart from the inaugural ones which obviously do not count when i talk about this um because obviously it's kind of not impossible to you know win an inaugural tournament on your first goal, right? It's kind of impossible, right? Um, so if anyone ever tries to, like, backtalk me about that, it's like, that, there's an exception, all right? Um, but nobody ever really wins it. It's like, did it get smarter than me? Um, so he defeated everybody in A block. And then, I mean, even this match, like, I'm surprised we didn't actually talk about it in, like, one of our favourite matches because looking back... Um, when doing research from the show, it was mesmerising. Again, as much as I hate Will Osprey <laughs> as a person, um, and but again, this match was probably one of the best junior heavyweight matches at that time to ever happen. And this is when I keep saying that it just elevates; it gets better and better each year. Um, and with Shingo, it was even though he had been wrestling for a long time. This was his breakout in New Japan. I mean, this is what sort of... He was already sort of coming in to LIJ, but at the same time, this is what sort of moved him to it. And yeah, he, he, he then obviously made an intention move to the heavyweight division. But I think this, this is sort of bringing in as a super junior to begin with. It's, you can have that grey area and have it as a sort of introduction to a lot mm-hmm. of them, so I think using that for Shingo, because I mean, he's the dragon. He is <laughs> the dragon. I mean, again, yeah, he's never won the actual junior heavyweight belt, but he's been a junior heavyweight tag team champion with mm-hmm. Bushi, and then obviously moving into the never division. I mean, that that is where Shingo's meant to be, is that never openweight division. I mean, mm-hmm. two-time never openweight champion, and I love watching Shingo's open weight matches. I don't know what it is, but I just love them because it could be anything. I mean, like his matches with Suzuki, scary. Mm. 
but I love it. It make, it makes it makes your heart pump and you're like, oh well. So yeah, I I I definitely see when you mentioned it, I was like, it's not cheating because that's when he broke out. I mean, it would have been different if say he had it had been like Jush and Thunderliger or something that you had said. <laughs> like he broke out in the ta- in the in the in the tournament that he got two points in. Yeah, like <laughs> that's different. Um, and that's yeah. exactly like what I could. Um, I'm going to argue with when we get to talk about my breakout. Yeah, like as like I think the reason we didn't mention any of our favorite matches maybe because we're, we find it hard to look at it objectively when it comes to talking about Osprey, but that was a hell of a match. <laughs> and the fact that now they, a couple of years later they're now both competing in the main event for the heavyweight title just shows the regression that can happen from the junior division into the heavyweights. Mm-hmm. When somebody moves up, yeah, I agree. He's become one of my favorite wrestlers, you know, in New Japan. He elevated that Neverweight title to a whole new stand. And that's part of the reason, one of the main reasons I'm sad the IC title is gone is I'm, I wanted to get wrong as ever called Neville Champion. But, you know, one day, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers very tightly, you'll be Heavyweight Champion one day. One day. Oh, yeah. One day. One day. But, <laughs> uh, this has come on track to be one of maybe one of our longest feature shows, so let's talk about your... <laughs> yeah, well, we'll talk about mine a little bit quickly. Um, well, my my breakout was more again. He's been with New Japan on and off since 2012, so a lot of people can say why have you chosen this guy? Um, but for me, it was actually show in this year's or last year's best of Super Juniors. Um, like he put on a hell of a shift in the middle of that, and like you'd only really ever properly seen show in tag matches as part of Rapongi 3K, which, you know, he's a former champion in that right as well, but obviously with Show being injured, sorry, you'll be an injured at Show I'm talking about. I always get them confused. Like, I can't tell them apart. Even though they're not related, I can't tell them apart. Um, So for me, his matches all the way through um, the best of Super Juniors this year, I mean, it was, a, it was a decent performance that he put through. I mean, he had six wins and three losses. Um, which he, he only just missed out on the actual finals, which is a bit of a shame, but I'm pretty sure that had been like one of his early times. I can't remember if he's actually been part of um, the new, uh, the best of Super Juniors all that often. Um, I don't recall him being in a lot. So, yeah, for me, he put on a hell of a shift and he actually sort of solidified himself as a single star. So I think yeah. like that that for me was something that I proper put in. I mean, he's a, he's, he's got a high flying like style, but when it comes to being what, a junior heavyweight, he differs from a lot of one. I mean, he comes from an MMA background as well, so this at first of all sets him apart. Um, but he does like things like power bombs and spears. I mean. It's cross arm pile driver, which is like obviously his finishing move, the shock arrow. It's a thing of beauty. I love, mm. I love to see it. Yeah, I think he'd only competed once or twice uh, before this in the Super Juniors. I know he was in 2018. I don't know about 2019, but he and Joe are usually in the opposite blocks, so I don't know if they really came against each other in the, the tournament because mm-hmm. uh, before this he'd, they'd been like the tag team. You know, much like Ishimori's become now, like focused more on the junior like tag scene. But 2020 was a hell of a year for a show because he got the, that one over Shingo in the New Japan Cup. He 
Mm-hmm. He, he got a title shot for the Never title, and then he got this performance where, like, if he hadn't like lost these match at the the final, Hiromu wouldn't have been in the final at all. Mathematically, it would have been him versus Show versus Desperado. Mm-hmm. And I agree with what Steven said earlier. I thought it was going to be Show v v Hiromu in the final, which I would have been fine with. But you know, Show got that uh, title shot later on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think just as well, Yo got the performance he's had since he came back because Yo. Uh, was on the verge of being the Genetti of the of Rapongi 3K with the match kind of performances that uh, show was was putting out because I think through this tournament and the matches before it was Shingo that I mentioned before he was probably showing like I'm more than a tag team wrestler. Mhm. No, I think definitely. And see when you see when you think of it as well is before when it it was sort of like a time it's like you don't sort of treat the incomers that maybe didn't grow up in your dojo, right? So that, like, the talent that didn't come from the dojo weren't seen as, like, worthy in a lot of ways. So Mm. see when you had show come through. I mean, show is a product of the New Japan dojo. I mean, it was basically inspired by the ace Tanahashi to attend the dojo in 2012. Um, So... I think that's it's it's a bit strange, um. But then again, this boy is only thirty-one years old, turning thirty-two this year. Again, he's got so much time ahead of him, and I, I would say like he's had a good start of being a he's like a five-time junior heavyweight tag team champion, right? Mm-hmm. At, at, at such a young age, especially because we're punky three K are not that old of a tag team. Mm-hmm. The like, I mean, well, yeah, well, actually, they are kind of old. They were made in 2013, but when you look at it that way, that you have a very big lack, especially right now. There's not a lot of juniors kicking around. I mean, poor Bushy is probably <laughs> going to be sitting in the corner going, "You've all forgotten about me." <laughs> um, but unfortunately, LIJ have got you know two juniors. It just happens that they've got the best junior and. The kind of nearly okay junior that's not as good as the best junior. Um, so I think in ter- in terms of this, he he will be he will be a big massive star. It's just I hope he doesn't get caught up in just being put back to being in a tag team. That's what yeah. I kind of I kind of you know hope it doesn't happen. Yeah, I do think you know as much as I'd like to see Ishimori win, I think you know. I think Show or El Desperado, no, El, El Fantasmo, there I'm doing it again. <laughs> uh, El Fantasmo or Show are the two favourites, I think, to win mm-hmm. Best of Super Juniors. Unless, like, when Roma comes back to the injury, they want to have him win the tournament again and go on to face Desperado, which will mm-hmm. be interesting because that would not only make Roma a three-time winner of the tournament, again, again joining Rare Company, but he'd be the first person since Tiger Mask 4 in 2004 and 2005 to win the tournament back-to-back. Tiger Mask is the only person who's done it, so... Yeah. I mean, there ha- it has been a first for everything. I mean, you had Koabushi winning the G1 back-to-back for the first time ever. Um, So this could be the first time ever since the first time ever, if Roma <laughs> does, you know, heal from his pectoral injury. My poor baby. But I've been enjoying him on commentary. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> and we hope you've enjoyed listening to this show talk about the best Superjuniors if you weren't as familiar with the tournament uh, and wanted some matches to check out hopefully we've given you some great recommendations to check out and 
even though we've probably spoiled the results for you, but still, it comes with the, the territory. It's been but, over a year. Well, it's been six months. It's no longer classified as a spoiler. If you've not watched it, shame on you. <laughs> yeah, totally. But uh, we want to thank Stephen, also, who joined us for, let's say, 90% of this podcast, maybe 95%. <laughs> uh, uh, thanks, Sarah, for joining me on this fun journey, talking, looking back at the junior heavyweight division. I've enjoyed it. It's... it's... It's made me happy. I've got to talk about Homer Moon, and then in the future I'm going to get to babble about Christian. I think this is like the best year ever for me. <laughs> That's what you got to do. Live your best life while you can. Hell yeah. Believe. Always believe. Because let's just face it, you all made fun of me. Anyway, that's for another time. I, I, I have n- I've done nothing of the sort. <laughs> that's, that's for another time, everybody. But as I said, simply let's retweet on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Take our back call for previous Shows related to Japanese wrestling like the G1 Climax of Trisha or the previous episodes of East Streets West. Check out Central on Saturday Drive Live and all our great YouTube content we've got coming up. We've got uh, Book It Return in June. I'm hosting Quiz Showdown in July, Quiz Showdown 12, Beyond Thunderdome. We've got so much still to come and so much in our back calendar for you guys to check out. Thank you for listening. Bye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.